Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those in the building, um, it's great to be here with you. For those on live stream, it's great that you're joining us together as well. 2022. Wow, another year. Exciting. Sort of almost. I feel a little bit like when I turn another year in my birthday. Maybe not too excited, but yep, a new year. But I do like that in our calendar, there's embedded in it an opportunity to start again. And so we have a new day, we have a new week, we have a new month and we have a new year. It's an opportunity that we've got to start again, to start afresh. I just wonder what this year might be for you if you were to make a fresh start. What would a fresh start look like for you this year? Now, I'm more an optimist type, and so I'm quite enthusiastic about the new year. I'm wanting to be positive, but I'm also a realist. And COVID has taught us that we are in a broken world, that there's tragedy, frustration, hurt, and that these things are not going to go away in a hurry. I'm an optimist, but also a realist. In such a context, how can we be realistically optimistic? Now, we've chosen uh, to start this year as a church on a series on prayer. Optimistically, we hope that we will grow in our prayerfulness as a church. How hard could that be? We're all committed to prayer, aren't we? Yes, yes, I can see you saying that. Well, have a look at our NCAC ministry values from a document a few years ago to remind us our commitment to prayer. We believe prayer to be the most basic fundamental expression of Christian faith and act of worship. We believe calling on the Sovereign Lord to act is more important than any other activity we can engage ourselves in. God has made prayer a privileged feature of our relationship with him and an important means by which he accomplishes his purposes. We believe that no amount of know-how, training, past experience or expertise can ever substitute or compensate for prayer. We believe that Christian ministry is spiritual and that we ought to have no expectations of anything ever happening, not that not to say that they won't, if we will not call on God in prayer to make it happen. We want to see prayer, public prayer, corporate prayer, private prayer, regular, routine prayer, liturgical prayer, extemporaneous prayer, increasing in every area of our fellowship and as a pinnacle of our ministry. So we at NCA Church are committed to prayer. And so I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that this series on prayer will help us to grow in our prayerfulness. But then realism sets in. I look at my own life and know how I fail so much in prayer. I've tried to institute new initiatives to pray. I've tried using the prayer app. I've tried getting prayer points from Christian organisations and other uh, missionaries. I've tried praying more in, in our family. Uh, I've tried a Zoom prayer meeting for our church during lockdown and during mission. But 
I continue to struggle with prayer. And I suspect that for many of you, prayer is a struggle. So realistically, is a series on prayer at the beginning of the year going to help? There's a bit of scepticism there. But this is not just a series on prayer. Did you notice our uh, series title? Gospel and Prayer. How what Jesus has done begins and shapes our prayer. The Gospel and Prayer. So our goal is to grow in prayerfulness. But the focus is on the Gospel. And so uh, in January, starting last week, we're looking at some prayers of Paul and we'll see in each case how Paul's prayerfulness comes out of strong gospel convictions. Main point for today, gospel realism leads to prayerful optimism. And it's only appropriate as we begin this morning to pray. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. But we also realise that we don't pray. Please forgive us for our silence and our hesitation to pray. We thank you that you have clearly spoken in your word and so help us this morning as we reflect on this passage to know you more, to have greater gospel clarity and to grow in our eagerness to pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to focus on uh, verses 15 to 23, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles. It's Paul praying for the Ephesian Christians. And we'll see his eagerness to pray, we'll see the content of his prayer, but he begins with, for this reason, which links his prayerfulness back to what he has spoken on in the previous verses. So from uh, verse 3, Paul bursts forth in praise to God for his blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The blessing of being chosen in him to be holy and blameless. The blessing of predestination and adoption as sons. The blessing of redemption and forgiveness of sins. The blessing of knowing God's will. The blessing of the Holy Spirit. All these blessings in Christ freely bestowed on us to those in Christ. Blessings in the gospel. Blessings available to all, both Jew and Gentile, to all who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. The Ephesian uh, Christians, they're recipients of these blessings. Paul has heard that they've put their trust in Jesus. They've, he's heard that their lives have been transformed by the gospel. And for this reason, Paul prays. Reflection on the gospel is what drives Paul to prayer. He begins with praise, he moves on to thanksgiving, and then he prays prayers of intercession for the Ephesians. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking you get a, a sense of Paul's eagerness to pray. Are you struggling with prayer? The solution is not a technique. 
It's not discipline, although these can be helpful. The solution is to reflect again on the gospel, to again realign our vision to God's vision, to look again at our Heavenly Father and see the spiritual reality of the blessings that we already have in Christ. The problem is that these spiritual realities have been overtaken by worldly concerns. We've lost sight of who God is and what God's doing in the world. We're more interested in knowing ourselves and knowing our, our world than we are in knowing God. We've lost sense of our identity in Christ. We look for other things to give satisfaction. And all these things impact our prayer life. We don't talk to God because we don't give him time to talk to us. I personally find that my lack of prayer often is uh, linked to my lack of reading the Bible. And so when I go through a season of less Bible reading, I find that my prayers decrease. Paul's prayer comes from a reflection of, on God. Meditating on the revealed will of God drives him to pray for the Ephesian Christians, that they would know God and that they would know his purposes better. So verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So in effect, Paul is praying for gospel realism. He prays for spiritual enlightenment, to know the spiritual realities of God and his purposes, to know what he has already achieved in Christ and also know what will be fulfilled in Christ on the last day. Now notice the prayer is not the prayer, bless mummy and daddy, bless grandpa and grandma, and that's an okay prayer to pray. It's more specific. Paul's praying for people that he knows, people that he's spent time with, people uh, that he knows are struggling. Uh, he's praying for people who are living in a pagan world. He's praying for people that are threatened from the outside and threatened from the inside. And so one application for us is if we want to grow our depth and breadth of prayerfulness is to be receiving uh, information, prayer points of people and things to pray for. And so uh, we can grow in praying for people in our church, but also people outside our church. And that's one of the reasons why we've taken on a gospel partnership with uh, Canterbury Church uh, to be able to resource and help them start and grow a Mongolian ministry. They really need our prayer. That's one of the reasons why we pray for uh, Willoughby Girls High, Chatswood High. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we have link missionaries and we pray for CMS. As we get information of these people, that helps our prayer. Uh, we can receive uh, information from Barnabas Fund on persecuted Christians, Anglican Aid, and Anglicare have a really good uh, prayer diary. It goes throughout the whole year. And that also can help us in our prayer. But what happen if, happens if we don't have specific prayer points? How can we pray for other Christians in that context? Well, we can learn from Paul uh, in this part of his letter. 
because we can see Paul's prayer as a model. He's praying that the Ephesians would know God and that's something that we can pray as well. So this is what Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they would know God better. And this is just not head knowledge, it's not relational knowledge, knowledge that builds trust and fellowship. He's praying for a growing personal relationship with God. Well, Paul adds in three related prayer points. That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. First point, praying for hope. That's something that we need now, isn't it? Hope. The hope he's talking about is the goal of their salvation. In chapter 2, we read that the Ephesians were previously a people without hope, without God in the world, under God's judgment, dead in sin. But God acted to rescue them, to call him to himself, to invite them to be part of his family and to give them a future to look forward to, a future life in the new heaven and earth, a future of sharing the final glory of the appearing of Christ, anticipation of being presented to Christ on that last day, holy and blameless. Paul prays that they would really get that hope. The second reality Paul wants his readers to grasp is the riches of his glorious inheritance. This is also forward-looking. Now, the slightly surprising thing about this inheritance is that it's expressed in his people. It's an inheritance in his people. The people of God are his inheritance. The context of Paul's prayer is praise. Uh, Every part of God's plan that we read uh, in the first few verses is to the praise of his glory. It's repeated a number of times. Increased knowledge of God's glorious future inheritance brings about transformation of lives here and now. So prayer for hope, prayer for uh, knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance and the final request is to understand God's power. And uh, it's compared to three uh, significant events in Jesus' life. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus' enthronement over evil and then Jesus' headship of the church. Now our greatest enemy is death but God has power to destroy death. God's amazing power raised Jesus to an altogether new life, immortal and glorious. In fulfilment of Psalm 110, God also made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So Jesus is promoted above every ruler. He's given supreme honour and executive authority. Now over Christmas, um, I don't know, I didn't actually personally see it, but I'm pretty sure there were Santa Clauses around sitting in Uh, thrones and people would come to them and he would uh, offer them gifts. We sort of have the Santa Claus picture of authority. Uh, North Korea, uh, China still able to put on a pretty uh, impressive display of military authority. But that's nothing compared with Jesus who rules over every authority, every power, every dominion into eternity. It's that power that Paul wants us to know. Now there's another spiritual reality here that we would 
possibly miss without the Holy Spirit's enlightening us. This power that Paul is talking about is power for the church. Power for the church. Now look around here. This morning particularly, we're small in number. We're weak. We're vulnerable. We're a group of people from different walks of life, different stages of life, different uh, ethnic backgrounds. But we have one thing in common. We are connected to Christ. Christ is our head. And even more, as the body, Christ fills us. Uh, one of the great doctrinal themes in Ephesians is the significance of the church. And we're here this morning, uh, the church. God's purposes to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment is to bring unity to all things. In other words, God's purpose is to build his church. Ephesians 3.20, God's glory is revealed in the church. Ephesians 4, the church, Christ's body, grows and builds its up in love as each part does its work. Again, a picture of the church. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church as a bride and gave himself up for her to make her holy. You can see that the church is very important in God's eyes. The church is precious to God. Jesus' rule over everything has a special focus, the church. To benefit the church, his chosen people, those gathered here this morning, those looking on live stream who identify themselves as Christians. So knowing how precious the church is to God should impact our attitudes to church, the way we relate to one another, and it also should impact our prayers for one another as well. Three points that Paul's prayed for. To summarise, Paul prays for knowledge. He prays for gospel realism. And gospel realism leads to prayerful optimism. So as we start a, a new year, let's pray optimistically. Knowing that God is sovereign and working out his purposes in Christ to bring all things under his headship, let's pray boldly for mission. Pray that others may share in the future inheritance that we share in Christ. Pray that others might know the hope that we have in Christ. Pray for our neighbours, families, uh, contacts and networks at school and work, that they may know the transforming power of God in Christ. Gospel realism leads to prayerful optimism. Knowing God is Father, our Father who graciously forgives, when we sin, let's come before our Heavenly Father and confess our sins like we've done this morning. Let's pray for our growing trust in, in God as Father. Knowing God as Father, gospel realism leads to prayerful optimism. Knowing the work of God's Spirit, knowing the Holy Spirit, knowing the Spirit works to enlighten our hearts and knowing that God's resurrection power. Let's pray for ongoing transformation in our lives. Pray that we would grow daily in holiness 
and Christ-likeness. Gospel realism leads to prayerful optimism. Paul, in effect, is praying for what he already has in Christ. And so he can be confident and bold as he prays. And so we too can pray optimistically in the light of what God has revealed in the gospel. A one-off sermon, a month of sermons on prayer is not going to transform our prayer life overnight. And so we need each other to keep uh, reminding one another of the great truths of the gospel. Now last year I was encouraged by some prayer initiatives from members of the congregation and other friends. And I hope this year personally to be an encourager of prayer. And I'd also love NCAC members to keep encouraging me. So please feel free to come and ask me, how's your prayer life? And when you ask me, I hope I'm going to say something like this. I'm excited what God has done in Christ and what he is doing. There's a lot of things to pray for. So let's pray together now. God of grace, as we enter a new year, give us a fresh vision of who we are and what you have done in and through Christ. Give us spiritual eyes to see the reality of the gospel and help us as we get to know you more to pray optimistically, to pray more deeply and more broadly. Help us not to be distracted by worldly things, but convicted of the truth of the gospel to seek your will for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.